Uh, many of you know that uh, Steve Jobs, the CEO of uh, Apple, resigned. And um, unsure health, various reasons why, but <clears throat> it's a classic story of the rags to riches, kind of the the company that starts out real small and just explodes. You know, if you think about Apple, uh, so it started in 76, and uh, of course Steve Jobs didn't complete college, dropped out after the first year, and it took some classes, but I think they were calligraphy, calligraphy, so uh, I'm not sure that really helped him. But from 76, and then with two other guys, they built their first computer by hand, and from that kind of insignificant beginning grew a company that I think grossed in 2010 $65 billion. I think it was the uh, voted the most valuable technological company of the world. In fact, at one point, due to the debt ceiling crisis this past July, they had more reserves than the U.S. government did. So, I mean, insignificant to massively significant. Now, you know, when you think through that, it's somewhat analogous to the church. I mean, the church starts out with one man who ends up dying, has 11 followers that are scattered and a few others, and it goes from that insignificant beginning in a small backwater town in Israel, and by the end of the generation of the apostles, they have touched Spain to India. It's incredible. Millions of churches planted throughout the world now. Such insignificant beginnings. These rags-to-riches stories are kind of exciting for us because it opens up possibilities of what may be, what could happen. I mean, it's exciting to think, how has the church grown so profoundly? Now, what we tend to do is we want to study a, a company like Apple. How did they do what they did? There's value in that. There's value in studying it and seeing what their culture is and what their strategies are. I don't want to take the same paradigm and apply it to the church, but I do want to look at Acts chapter 1 with you and just see the Lord's commands on how this whole thing got rolling. What did Jesus say? His very last words before he ascends into heaven, he speaks to his disciples and he gives a very simple word of what to do that has proven to be wildly successful. And I don't know that we can really improve upon it. And so if you turn with me, to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 uh, to 11. Let me read it for you. Okay, 6 to 11, he says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you and praise you for your word, the clarity of it, the power of it. May it change us, Lord. May it excite us. Father, as we look at this word and we look at what you're moving this church to do, Father, would you uh, find it pleasing to give us faith to believe that you want to continue to do a mighty work in this world 
through an insignificant people who have been redeemed by your grace. Father, help us in our unbelief that we might walk by faith. We know it without faith, we cannot please you. So we want to do all things by faith, trusting that you are more than able to do abundantly beyond all that we can even ask or think. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Daniel kind of showed us last week in Matthew 28, kind of that call to make disciples is undergirded, it's founded, it's empowered by this idea that all authority and power has been given to Christ. And the idea isn't just making disciples without the intention of gathering them into the church. Church planning has always been the strategy of of Christ to advance his name to all the nations through the planting of churches. We saw the same thing here. Now, I don't think the disciples initially picked this up. You can see what their question is. When they came together, they've been together 40 days at this point. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I think uh, they weren't thinking church planning. They were thinking at this time. They thought that now uh, with Jesus, boom, Israel's going to be raised back to national prominence. I don't think it was a completely idiotic question, although other people do. Calvin said there are more things wrong with this question than there are words in the question. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think the the giving of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit that Jesus made, I think tipped the disciples thinking in the Old Testament with the coming of the Spirit came a new age. And so they're thinking, if the Spirit's coming, a new age is coming. And a new age is coming, Israel's going to be raised to prominence. But Jesus rebukes or mildly rebukes them, and he says this. He says, it's not for you to know the times or season that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So in other words, the date of this full restoration of God's kingdom is not known to us. It is known to God. We are uncertain as to its timing, but we're not uncertain as to its coming. There will be a time. But the implication is there's a delay. There's a delay between the ascension of Christ and this restoration of the kingdom. And in this delay, we're not to be focused on the time. When is it going to come? We're to be focused on the task of what are we called to do to bring forth this kingdom. And we've been called, as we read, David read in verse 8. Look with me in the text, if you will. Verse 8, he says, But you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So the call is that church planning begins with us being witnesses. Now, folks, a witness is not something that you're, you're required to be creative. You're adding to some message. A witness is just testifying to the truth. That's all a witness is. That's what the word meant. There's a testimony of truth or to fact. Now, of course, Jesus had said that in Luke 24, he had said that you will be my witnesses, and the content of the witness, in other words, what we are to testify to, is the person in the work of Christ. Think about it for a minute. We're just to witness to the gospel, to this idea that God in his mercy has brought forth the Son, the Son promised from long ago, has come to redeem, restore, reclaim all things. It's an unbelievable story. It's unbelievable news that God would move in Christ towards us so that through him our sins would be forgiven, we'd be reconciled to God, our shame and guilt would be lifted, and that we would become the people of God. We would become all that God had originally intended us to be. 
I mean, it's incredibly mind-blowing. Death will be destroyed. Sin will be eradicated. We will be back with God in perfect communion. That's, the, that's why Jesus came. And not just us, but all of creation with us. I mean, all of creation, the stars long to sin for his glory. So that's what we're testifying to, that we believe Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one to redeem, restore, reclaim all things. Now, this witnessing that we're called to do is with the intention of seeing people be formed into Christians and then filling churches. And this, this testimony that we're to give is to be in these concentric circles kind of in Jerusalem. We're to do it locally, that is, plant churches in Judea, Samaria, dreaded Samaria, our hated Samaritan friends, as a Jew would think, even to the ends of the earth. So it's to be both local but also international. And then, of course, this witnessing isn't just to be in their generation, but until the end comes. So every generation has to evangelize themselves. Every generation starts in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached testified to in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. Since the end has not come, we're to continue to preach. So what I want you to think first is in Jesus' last words, he is charging the church to be a witness, to plant churches. God has designed the church to be the manifold display of his wisdom. Let me say that again. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, the church is to display the manifold wisdom of God that it might be made known to all the rulers, authorities, in the heavenly places. In other words, God has designed the planting of churches to be outposts of glory that reflect, that demonstrate, that declare the greatness of God that others might come. We're to be a light unto the world. Now, this is a daunting task to plant churches. It's overwhelming when you consider it. And the encouragement is coming from our text in really verses 9 and 10, they, it, right, um, Jesus says, or the situation is recorded, when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The ascension of Jesus Christ gives us encouragement to want to plant churches. The fact that he's taken up out of their sight means that he ascended, and it says he ascended into a cloud. Now, why does he make the note that a cloud was there? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, clouds are very significant. Clouds always demonstrate the presence of God. That, that when God appeared on the mountain, there was a cloud over the mountain. When Moses went to speak with God, he entered the cloud. When the Shekinah glory was over the tabernacle, it appeared as a cloud. When Jesus was transfigured, and God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. It said a cloud covered him. So Jesus going into a cloud is a clear indication. Jesus now is at the right hand of God. And it's from there that he then promises to give us a power. And this power that he gives us is the power of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus Christ is really continuing his ministry, but now it's through the church mediated by the power of the Spirit in his people. When Jesus said that, that you receive power from the Spirit, remember, when Jesus had been talking about the Spirit in John chapter 14, he said, it's good that I go away so another comforter would come. Now, you can imagine, if you're with Jesus and he says, it's good that I'm going away, you're not agreeing with him. We'd like you to stay here, please. 
But he says, no, it's good to go away because now the Spirit of God is going to dwell within you. This same Spirit in John 16 is going to convict the world of unrighteousness, not us. The Spirit, we preach the Spirit brings conviction. The Spirit is going to bring, to things, bring things to your remembrance so that you're able to testify to the truth of Christ. In other words, our witnessing isn't based upon eloquence or education or power of reason and logic. We're just to testify to the truth of what we know from scriptures. And the Spirit takes that word and brings conviction, opens eyes. We have a responsibility to play. The Spirit is responsible to move in accordance with the word. We can't do it without the Spirit. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, you can water and you can plant, but God has to give the increase. God has to do it, and he does it through the power of the Spirit. So what I want you to see is that the call to plant churches is clear, that we are to be witnesses locally in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and we are witnesses through the power of the Spirit, trusting the ascended Christ is going to do all his work that he intends to do through us. Now, that's the goal of this church, is to plant churches. I'm going to ask Steve to, come, <clears throat> Steve to come up and share about church planting in Asia. <clears throat> the ministry has shifted a little bit for Steve. He'll give some words to it today or this morning. Steve is also going to be speaking at our picnic at 4.30 today. So Steve is going to share about what church planting looks like internationally. And then following Steve, Daniel will be coming up to share about our intention to church plant locally so that we can Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Steve. Thank you. Good morning. So we've heard uh, this morning Christ, Christ's apostles were called to be witnesses in that concentric circle that Tom just described, uh, ending up at the ends of the earth. As we know, they fulfilled this, as Tom just said, by declaring the gospel, making disciples, and then gathering those disciples into groups called churches. The church then, in that given location, as the body of Christ, continues to be the witness of Christ in both word and deed, long after the apostles had left, or long after, in our case, a missionary leaves. Our role 2,000 years, uh, from 2,000 years ago to today is still the same, to plant gospel-centered churches, which will be an ongoing witness of Christ among those who have yet to hear. So from the time that we were commissioned as a family about two and a half or three years ago, our goal has been and continues to be to plant churches among Asia's unreached people groups. Now, as most of you know, and as what Tom just alluded to, uh, with the approval and the leadership of the church, uh, God has led us to, I believe, expand our church's church planning vision internationally and opportunity by moving us to a new city to lead a, uh, a church planning team there. So what I want to do just real briefly, if I can, is to explain how this move will advance church planning among the unreached people groups of Asia. So what I'd like to do is just, if you could kind of think with me in kind of three buckets, if you will, of how we believe God is going to bring this about. So first of all, by God's grace, we will accomplish the advancing of church planting among uh, unreached people groups of China, first of all, by broad sowing among 
um, Asia's unreached people groups. Now, this sounds like a very big, you know, kind of, wow, you're going to hit all of China's, or, uh, China's unreached people groups. Probably not. But let me explain how we're going to do that. First of all, by a strategic location. Uh, our team is going to be located near a university, in what's called a minorities university. So in this university, there are representations from many different unreached people groups. In, in a sense, the best of the best of many unreached people groups are coming to a university to study. Many of them are leaving their families for the first time. They're leaving cultures of fear. They're leaving cultures of oppression. And they're, as many college students are, are open to new ideas, considering new things, and really probably for the first time, beginning, first time in their lives, beginning to kind of think for themselves. So our uh, goal in this particular bucket or category is to bring short-term missionaries to this, this college campus that will engage in very bold and very broad sewing among many of these students. Most of them, most of these students, are able to engage in English. So for right now, actually waiting for us to return, there are five uh, about college-age uh, short-term missionaries who are beginning to sow very boldly and very broadly upon this, this campus. Now the goal then is to see them discipled, see, first of all, come to faith, discipled, and then to see them go back to their particular people group to see the church advanced through uh, some, of these, some of these students. Now, an even uh, more exciting goal than this is that some of these short-term missionaries are able to go back to very remote villages, places that Westerners would never be allowed to go, with their, their classmates, with the students that they're trying to reach, and have an interest in the entrance into homes and families that would be completely unreached without this particular opportunity. So that's one bucket that we'll, we'll kind of be overseeing. Secondly, advancing the church among Asia's unreached people groups by preparing church planners. Many missionaries want to come to Asia, and they have goals of going to more remote areas where there are large numbers of Muslims, large numbers of box, and large numbers of other people groups that are completely unreached. But it's many times very difficult to go to these regions right away. The strategy that a lot of people do is they take a year or, or two to three years to study language and culture, prepare themselves and their families, and then go out into these areas to plant churches among uh, unreached in, in very unreached areas. So our goal on our team will be to have probably two or three families at any given time, or units, if you will, maybe singles, maybe couples, maybe families, who will be uh, immersing themselves in two to three years of language learning but also, the goal is to have them immersed in a team community to enjoy gospel-centered fellowship, to grow in their understanding of theology so that they can reproduce essentially what, you know, what we enjoy here, so that they can reproduce that in the churches that they end up to plant down the road. So at the same time, they're able to uh, interact with people groups that they're going out to reach. Uh, in the university setting, they're beginning to understand the people group's culture. They're beginning to understand the um, uh, maybe even a particular language of a people group. 
even making contacts so that when they go out, they'll be well-suited and well-prepared to plant gospel-centered churches. Now, thirdly, and this is actually the most exciting to me, and all of these things, I see them all kind of working together, uh, so I don't want to put too much dichotomy between them, but thirdly is direct church planning within the city. Now, many of you have asked me as we've talked about this change, you've said, well, what about the box people? I just want, I want to step back and remind you that within, within Asia, there are about 12 million box people. Now, they still stand as the largest unreached people group in the world that still does not have an, an existing fellowship. Now, where we were before, we landed in a city of about 11 million people, and we were living in a corner of a city that had about uh, 21,000 box people. It's a very concentrated area, and we were able to step out our door, and you know, we couldn't help but bump into them. They were everywhere. So now where we are going, we're moving to a city that has not just 21,000, but 200,000 box living in this city. There are over 76 mosques in the city, and around each one of these mosques is a kind of a uh, conglomeration or an enclave of these people who are living, who are working, who are opening restaurants, who are, uh, who are seeking to walk out their, their faith, their idolatrous faith in the midst of this city. So our goal, then, is to develop partnerships with local churches, local house churches that are not currently reaching these box people. These box people largely remain completely unreached in this massive city where there are, there are thousands and thousands of Christians that are, being, that are they're, they're completely untouching these, uh, these box people. So our goal is to, over time, create strategies and make plans to work together with local churches, local house churches, to seek to uh, begin a church plant or a church planting movement among these 200,000 uh, box that are living in the city. So even beyond the 200,000, within outlying areas and even within surrounding province, there's, there's literally millions of box people just in the surrounding area. So the, the, the possibilities are unbelievably endless for what God, God can do in this. So this is just a really quick kind of bird's eye view, and I look forward to time in the future that we'll be able to, to flesh this out a little bit more. But I really see this as God has given us several months now to think and to pray about this. This is an expansion of church planting. It is not in any way a reduction. And as I look at this, it is, you know, to think that we're calling people who have been enslaved to idolatry for uh, 1,500 years, calling them out to have faith in Jesus Christ, a gospel that is very offensive to them. It is, it is impossible, were it not for what Tom just reminded us of and preached to us, that it is the Holy Spirit that is, that is empowering. So with that in mind, we, we call to you to continue to pray with us, and uh, it'll be awesome and exciting to see what God does for church planning in Asia. Well, one of the... Um resounding themes of both last week and this week is that um, what we are called to do is not just limited to one-on-one evangelism, but what we are called to do is to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, the question uh, that I want to look at is how, how will we do that in Rollsville? 
or how will planning a church there advance that agenda? We'll do it primarily through existing as a church in Rollsville. We will gather together on Sunday mornings. People will see cars in the parking lot. They'll see families walking in, enjoying each other. We'll preach the gospel, and we will love one another. This will be, uh, in many ways, the engine room of the church, this meeting together. We'll gather together to remember all that Christ uh, has done and what Tom was talking about, his cosmic reign uh, over the universe that he did ascend uh, and now sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. This will be the fuel that drives us out into the community. That is what we'll do in the church, but we're also going to embrace the idea that most of the people in Rollsville who are unchurched will never come into our church. How can we testify to the truth of Jesus Christ to them will be a major question that we have to ask. One way is through relational evangelism, that we'll make an effort to know people in Rollsville, we'll try to shop in Rollsville, eat in Rollsville, and if possible, even live in Rollsville. I gave the stat uh, last week that 80% of new conversions happen in churches that are 10 years old or less. And I think that this mindset is largely why. It's a, it's a, mind, sh- a mind shift that has already begun to take place in me. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, I have had to engage in a lot of new things for the church plant, um, talking to uh, real estate people or um, people within the town of Rollsville or even um, a, a lawyer you know, regarding you know, how to incorporate our church and, and be recognized as a nonprofit organization. Uh, and so I'm making these phone calls the last few weeks to, to people that I've never met before. You know, I'm having to just get online and find a lawyer or uh, work through contacts to find someone in real estate in the area. And, and my, 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 the questions that I asked have started to change. You know, and instead of finding what is, what's the best lawyer I could find that works with nonprofit groups, I've, I've started asking questions like, well, I wonder if I could find someone who's in Rollsville. Someone who lives in Rollsville, maybe someone who's unchurched. I mean, through working with them to this end, I could develop a relationship with someone who would never come into our church, and I could begin to share the gospel with them and begin to, even now, reach those who are unreached or unchurched. I heard unreached too many times. Um, people who are unchurched. Now, I, now, first I have to confess I don't normally think that way. Um, and I think that's a bad thing, but, but it's been a personal blessing to me as I've begun to work on this, um, this new work in Rollsville that my mind has begun to change in that area. And I, I've, begun, I've started to think more intentionally and even started to pray more specifically for those who are lost in Rollsville. Other things that we'll do will be basic service in the community. I'm reading a book right now that was written by two church planners called For the City, the idea of the book is that their vision for planning their churches would be that they would be churches for the city. One of them even talks about the model of Charles Spurgeon's church and how it was a city that had so impacted the church uh, that if the church had ever left, the city would mourn. And he said that that's what he wanted for his church. We want to be a church that serves in that way. It's a powerful way to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ or to be witnesses. So how, how can we do that practically in Rollsville. We'll volunteer at local schools. Uh, we could serve local ministries in and around Rollsville. Rollsville is still, one of the great benefits of it is it's still small enough that we could very quickly have a large footprint in the community through service. <clears throat> we could serve the local police and fire departments. 
Uh, And if we continue to serve in these ways consistently, then at some point people will begin to look for an explanation of why these people are pouring out their lives in the community. And the simple answer will be that Christ has poured out his life for us. And so we go out into the community to pour our lives out for them, bearing witness to the gospel and all that it has done for us. Before we can get to that point, though, there's a lot of work that has to be done. So let me give you a quick overview of how we get from right here, talking about it, to the point that we are preaching the gospel and serving the community in Rollsville. The first step is going to be developing a prayer team. We, we talked about last week this idea that what we're doing is a, a spiritual endeavor. Uh, it is a great undertaking to try to plant a church in a new community, and it is a very spiritual work that we go about doing. And so one of the first things we want to do is develop a team of people who are committed to pray. Um, what we'll do is, um, even this morning, in the youth room after um, the service is over, there's a list in there that you can sign up if you want to commit to being a part of the prayer team. What that will, um, what that will include for you is that you will sign up for a certain day of the week, Monday uh, through Saturday, where um, you will commit to pray on that certain day, and I'll keep a, a, an updated prayer list for you uh, to be praying over on your specific day. That way we can make sure that someone is praying uh, for the church plant every day of the week. We'll do that, <clears throat> develop a prayer team. The second thing that we will do, uh, let me add also, I forgot, um, being on the prayer team doesn't mean that you're um, signing up to go to the church plant. Uh, you can pray for the church plant even if you won't go to the church plant. I just thought I should make that clear. Uh, the second thing that we'll be doing <clears throat> this fall, uh, and this will be the main thing that we're doing this fall, is, is putting together the actual team of people who will go. Uh, so if you are considering going to the plant, there's also a list in the youth room uh, for you to put your name on. And again, you're not signing in blood today. Uh, but if you are interested, considering, or would even just like to sit down and talk with us about it, um, you can put your name on that list. Those who sign up today will be invited to some informational meetings over the next couple of weeks where we can dialogue. We can try to explain to you uh, what the commitment will be like. You can ask questions um, and we can move towards developing the group of people who will go. Once again, I think it's uh, important to, to think through how do you know if you're being drawn to this. Um, what I've been praying and what my hope is is that there are some of you here that hear about this new work and you're just drawn to it. That, that God would be moving you towards this, that He would be calling you. And so what is that like? I mean, is this appealing to you? Is, is the idea of of leaving with a small group of people and embracing a, a, a significant level of sacrifice to reach unchurched people in a specific place like Rollsville, does that, does that appeal to you? And if so, I'd say that's not a, a natural thing. Uh, I'd say that that is, is God maybe moving in you, and it's something that you need to explore and play, pray about uh, and maybe even ask others to walk with you as you try to, to figure that calling out. We ask that you would continue to pray and ask that you would consider what God might be asking you to do. At the turn of the year, we'll start meeting together as a plant team. Uh, We'll meet to pray, train, and study God's Word together. The idea is that we want to all leave on the same boat and be rowing towards the same pier. Uh, So when we leave out here, we don't want everybody going in a different direction. 
Uh, so at the, at the turn of the year, we'll begin meeting together to, to try to all understand uh, what it will be like. We want you to understand um, as much as possible what we're going to experience when we leave here. Um, <clears throat> in late spring of next year, we'll hold our first service in Rollsville, uh, Lord willing. You know, once, we, once we get there, our vision for the church is that we would be a God-centered, gospel-preaching church that is intentionally looking to reach the unchurched people in Rollsville and the communities that surround it. Once we're there, uh, it will not be like being on a deserted island, but we will join Christ's Covenant at baptism fellowships, annual kickball games, um, men's and women's retreats, missions, camps, and a host of other things. We'll continue in a sweet partnership for years to come. We will be two autonomous churches tightly knit together and both working towards this goal of being a witness to the truth of Jesus Christ in his glorious gospel. Thank you. So what we've tried to do is uh, show you from Scripture that Jesus Christ has called the church to be witnesses. And, and you see it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Steve spoke to it from a context of Asia and And Daniel spoke to it from a context of Judea or just right outside of Jerusalem, right outside of here. Uh, We're very excited, trying to give a lot of ramp-up time to get you on board and to have opportunities to ask questions. I know there might be some questions in your mind right now. Um, I think, so when I was doing this and we were considering, we've been praying for this a long time, and I'm both excited and I'm reverent to the issue. I, there's a serious excitement I have. This is no small undertaking, and I'm, I imagine that some of you might be thinking, is this really possible? I mean, are, are, is this really doable? And I just want to remind you that we are not building just a building, or as Daniel said, you know, we're not building a grocery store. This is a spiritual endeavor, and faith is demanded from us. But it's exciting, because when you think about the ascended Christ, continuing his ministry on this earth through his people by the power of his spirit. You're participating in something profound, but it demands faith. Now, I, I don't, I'm not saying, I, I, on one hand, I want to I call you to faith. On the other hand, I want to say, let's not overwork this thing. Let's not make it overcomplicated. It is the power of God moving through us. I don't want to be presumptuous. We've got plans. You've heard these men speak. There's been a lot of thought. There's going to be a lot more thought put into how we're doing it. But if you ever think you're going to arrive at that state where, oh, yeah, we can do this, don't join. It's like having babies. We never thought we could afford a child, and we kept having them, and we were able to afford them. You, never, you can overwork this thing and try to, try to counter every possible problem and just be neutralized in life. At one point, you just have to step out and, and trust the words of Jesus when he said, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to build them through people of faith. So I'm calling you to faith to believe that, yes, God is able to take a humble little church like this and to begin moving his glory through us, planting other churches. It is very doable. It will involve sacrifice. But that's what we're displaying, the cross, as we lay down our lives to begin a new work so we display the gospel. Other questions might come up in your mind, such as, you know, should we really be worried about Rollsville when the problem in the 1040 window, that section of our world that has the most amount of unreached people groups, should we really worry about Rollsville? 
Shouldn't we be more concerned with them? And I would say it's kind of a false question. We're worried about both. It isn't one or the other. We are to be concerned with both. Yes, we want to serve the unreached people groups, as Steve gave word to, but so do we want to minister to our own community. Do you realize that America is the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world? There are 200 million unchurched Christians. Now, the gospel is planted and indigenous churches in America exist. Unreached people groups is when there is no indigenous church preaching the gospel. That is a church of of the people and the culture and the language. But there is, in 1900, there were 27 churches per 10,000 people. In 1996, there were 11 churches for every 10,000 people. There are 3,500 churches dying every year in this country and only 1,000 being planted. So our nation is quickly becoming less and less, or it has less and less of a Christian influence. So we're called to do both. I don't want you to say, well, should we do this or should we do this? Well, if Christ is on the throne, let's attempt both. Let's attempt both. Another question that may come up, should we just do evangelism or outreach in Rollsville rather than plant a church and send our people up there? And I would say that evangelism and outreach are good things. But evangelism and outreach are only temporary, and they're still with the intention of drawing people into the church. We want to maintain a church that is large enough that we can do some ministries, but not so large enough that we lose the family, the dynamic of the people of God that we have here. And we think that planting a church in Rollsville will establish a long-term gospel presence, much longer and much more demonstrative than any outreach could be. And and then last, what will it do to us? You may be thinking, well, how's it going to affect us? Well, it's definitely going to affect us. I want you to know that. It's going to shake us up a little bit. I think that's a good thing. You know, when churches get to be 15, 20 years of age and even older, we get a lot. We've got chuck wagons behind us. We have all kinds of paraphernalia of what it means to run church. And we get really kind of, sometimes we get overweighted with just the cares of caring for ourselves. A church plan is like a striker unit. I mean, they're quick, they're fast, they move quick. They're, they're totally committed to surviving and evangelizing. And so in planning a church, it's going to take people and budgets, money out of this place. And I think it's going to shake us up a little bit. I think it's going to call us to walk by more faith and more dependence. And frankly, I'm excited about that. I think we need that. But, but not just that. I think it's going to help us in terms of um, calling uh, some of you spectators to be participants. We're going to send some leadership up there. We need you watching those who have been watching others work to begin working. It's going to call a new layer of leadership. Uh, The music team, elders, deacons, ministry heads, men and women need to begin playing a part when perhaps you become comfortable. I also think that it's going to help us um, develop our own greater concern for the lost. You know, we're comfortable here. We love each other. It works really well. And we kind of dull ourselves to the fact that there are many people who don't know Christ. And it's going to free up some space and some parking. And and we trust and pray that you're going to become a little more evangelistic, a little more aware of what it means to be a goat versus a sheep. You know a lot of goats. And we're, we're the ones that are called to be the witnesses. Another one, too, is planting churches is good for us in terms of stewardship. 
I mean, we're spreading our resources, and yet we're kind of working with economies of scale. We're going to have two churches. In fact, two healthy churches is going to be more effective at hitting the 1040 window with greater missions. So I think it's going, to, it's going to develop a camaraderie between churches. I think we'll be able to help each other. Hopefully we'll continue to help this church plant. And as they grow and they begin to move, they're going to help us. So, so there's a lot of benefits that we're going to have, particularly I think in just winnowing us out, making us get in a little bit better shape. And I'm excited about that. So that's kind of the plan that the Lord has led us to. You've been praying about it, I trust. We've surely been praying about it. Uh, we have a, a picnic today at 4.30, and Daniel's going to give some details about that later. But uh, it's a time for you to grab your elders, to grab some of the pastoral staff if you have questions. But at a minimum, let's begin praying for it. In fact, I want to do that right now, and I'm going to begin. Daniel's going to close us in a minute. And let's try to right now think through all that you've heard. This church, of course, we're planning churches in Asia want to plant churches locally, we want to do both. So first, let's think about the glory of Christ ascended, seated at the right hand of God, giving us the power of his spirit so we can carry on his work. Let's thank him for that, and let's also begin to ask him for the things that we need to do this. So I'll begin and ask you to pray briefly. You can pray loudly so that we can join with you. Father, thank you for this truth that will affect our lives. Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us greater faith to believe you for all that you say. And Lord, if there is fear and trepidation among your people about taking this step, would you bring a measure of grace to us, comforting us and encouraging us, your children, uh, to move in the manner that you've called us to, that that the name of your son will be proclaimed and... um, and your churches will be established, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And so we ask for an increased faith and joy in this. We pray in the name of Jesus. 